Section 7 of The Rough Riders by Theodore Roosevelt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Peck. Chapter 4, Part 1, The Cavalry at Santiago. On June 30th, we received orders to hold ourselves in readiness to march against Santiago, and all the men were greatly overjoyed, for the inaction was trying. The one narrow road, a mere muddy track along which the army was encamped, was choked with the marching columns. As always happened when we had to change camp, everything that the men could not carry, including, of course, the officers' baggage, was left behind. About noon, the Rough Riders struck camp and drew up in column beside the road in the rear of the 1st Cavalry. Then we sat down and waited for hours before the order came to march, while regiment after regiment passed by, varied by bands of tatterdemalion Cuban insurgents, and by mule trains with ammunition. Every man carried three days' provisions. We had succeeded in borrowing mules sufficient to carry along the dynamite gun and the automatic Colts. At last, toward mid-afternoon, the 1st and 10th Cavalry, ahead of us, marched, and we followed. The 1st was under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Vale, the 10th under Lieutenant Colonel Baldwin. Every few minutes there would be a stoppage in front, and at the halt I would make the men sit or lie down beside the track, loosening their packs. The heat was intense as we passed through the still, close jungle which formed a wall on either hand. Occasionally we came to gaps or open spaces where some regiment was camped, and now and then one of these regiments, which apparently had been left out of its proper place, would file into the road, breaking up our line of march. As a result, we finally found ourselves following merely the tail of the regiment ahead of us, an infantry regiment being thrust into the interval. Once or twice we had to wade streams. Darkness came on, but we still continued to march. It was about eight o'clock when we turned to the left and climbed El Poso Hill, on whose summit there was a ruined ranch and sugar factory, now, of course, deserted. Here I found General Wood, who was arranging for the camping of the brigade. Our own arrangements for the night were simple. I extended each troop across the road into the jungle, and then the men threw down their belongings where they stood and slept on their arms. Fortunately, there was no rain. Wood and I curled up under our raincoats on the saddle blankets, while his two aides, Captain A. L. Mills and Lieutenant W. N. Ship, slept near us. We were up before dawn and getting breakfast. Mills and Ship had nothing to eat, and they breakfasted with Wood and myself, as we had been able to get some handfuls of beans and some coffee and sugar, as well as ordinary bacon and hardtack. We did not talk much, for though we were in ignorance as to precisely what the day would bring forth, we knew that we should see fighting. We had slept soundly enough, although, of course, both Wood and I during the night had made a round of the sentries, he of the brigade and I of the regiment, and I suppose that, excepting among hardened veterans, there is always a certain feeling of uneasy excitement the night before the battle. Mills and Ship were both tall fine-looking men of tried courage and thoroughly trained in every detail of their profession i remember being struck by the quiet soldierly way they were going about their work early that morning before noon one was killed and the other dangerously wounded general wheeler was sick but with his usual indomitable pluck and entire indifference to his own personal comfort he kept to the front 
he was unable to retain command of the cavalry division which accordingly devolved upon general samuel sumner who commanded it until mid-afternoon when the bulk of the fighting was over general sumner's own brigade fell to colonel henry carroll general sumner led the advance with the cavalry and the battle was fought by him and by general kent who commanded the infantry division and whose foremost brigade was led by general hawkins as the sun rose the men fell in and at the same time a battery of field guns was brought up on the hill crest just beyond between us and toward santiago it was a fine sight to see the great horses straining under the lash as they whirled the guns up the hill and into position our brigade was drawn up on the hither side of a kind of a half basin a big band of cubans being off to the left as yet we had received no orders except that we were told that the main fighting was to be done by lawton's infantry division which was to take el caney several miles to our right while we were simply to make a diversion this diversion was to be made mainly with the artillery and the battery which had taken position immediately in front of us was to begin when lawton began it was about six o'clock that the first report of the cannon from el caney came booming to us across the miles of still jungle it was a very lovely morning the sky of cloudless blue while the level shimmering rays from the just risen sun brought into fine relief the splendid palms which here and there towered above the lower growth the lofty and beautiful mountains hemmed in the santiago plain making it an amphitheatre for the battle immediately our guns opened and at the report great clouds of white smoke hung on the ridge crest for a minute or two there was no response wood and i were sitting together and wood remarked to me that he wished our brigade could be moved somewhere else where we were directly in line of any return fire aimed by the spaniards at the battery hardly had he spoken when there was a peculiar whistling singing sound in the air and immediately afterward the noise of something exploding over our heads it was shrapnel from the spanish batteries we sprung to our feet and leaped on our horses immediately afterward a second shot came which burst directly above us and then a third from the second shell one of the shrapnel bullets dropped on my wrist hardly breaking the skin but raising a bump about as big as a hickory nut the same shell wounded four of my regiment one of them being mason mitchell and two or three of the regulars were also hit one losing his leg by a great fragment of shell another shell exploded right in the middle of the cubans killing and wounding a good many while the remainder scattered like guinea hens wood's lead horse was also shot through the lungs i at once hustled my regiment over the crest of the hill into the thick underbrush where i had no little difficulty in getting them together again into column meanwhile the firing continued for fifteen or twenty minutes until it gradually died away as the spaniards used smokeless powder their artillery had an enormous advantage over ours and moreover we did not have the best type of modern guns our fire being slow as soon as the firing ceased wood formed his brigade with my regiment in front and gave me orders to follow behind the first brigade which was just moving off the ground in column of fours we marched down the trail toward the ford of the san juan river we passed two or three regiments of infantry and were several times halted before we came to the ford the first brigade which was under colonel carroll lieutenant colonel hamilton commanding the ninth regiment major wessels the third and captain kerr the sixth had already crossed and was marching to the right 
parallel to but a little distance from the river the spaniards in the trenches and blockhouses on top of the hills in front were already firing at the brigade in desultory fashion the extreme advance of the ninth cavalry was under lieutenant mcnamee and hartwick they were joined by general hawkins with his staff who was looking over the ground and deciding on the route he should take his infantry brigade our orders had been of the vaguest kind being simply to march to the right and connect with lawton with whom of course there was no chance of our connecting no reconnaissance had been made and the exact position and strength of the spaniards was not known a captive balloon was up in the air at this moment but it was worse than useless a previous proper reconnaissance and proper lookout from the hills would have given us exact information as it was generals kent sumner and hawkins had to be their own reconnaissance and they fought their troops so well that we won anyhow i was now ordered to cross the ford march half a mile or so to the right and then halt and await further orders and i promptly hurried my men across for the fire was getting hot and the captive balloon to the horror of everybody was coming down to the ford of course it was a special target for the enemy's fire i got my men across before it reached the ford there it partly collapsed and remained causing severe loss of life as it indicated the exact position where the tenth and the first cavalry and the infantry were crossing as i led my column slowly along under the intense heat through the high grass of the open jungle the first brigade was to our left and the firing between it and the spaniards on the hills grew steadily hotter and hotter after a while i came to a sunken lane and as by this time the first brigade had stopped and was engaged in a stand-up fight i halted my men and sent back word for orders as we faced toward the spanish hills my regiment was on the right with next to it and a little in advance the first cavalry and behind them the tenth in our front the ninth held the right the sixth the centre and the third the left but in the jungle the lines were already overlapping in places kent's infantry were coming up farther to the left captain mills was with me the sunken lane which had a wire fence on either side led straight up toward and between two hills in our front the hill on the left which contained heavy block houses being farther away from us than the hill on our right which we afterward grew to call kettle hill and which was surmounted merely by some large ranch buildings or haciendas with sunken brick lined walls and cellars i got the men as well sheltered as i could many of them lay close under the bank of the lane others slipped into the san juan river and crouched under its hither bank while the rest lay down behind the patches of bushy jungle in the tall grass the heat was intense and many of the men were already showing signs of exhaustion the sides of the hills in front were bare but the country up to them was for the most part covered with such dense jungle that in charging through it no accuracy of formation could possibly be preserved the fight was now on in good earnest and the spaniards on the hills were engaged in heavy volley firing the mauser bullets drove in sheets through the trees and the tall jungle grass making a peculiar whirring or rustling sound some of the bullets seemed to pop in the air so that we thought they were explosive and indeed many of those which were coated with brass did explode in the sense that the brass coat was ripped off making a thin plate of hard metal with a jagged edge which inflicted a ghastly wound these bullets were shot from a forty-five caliber rifle carrying smokeless powder 
which was much used by the guerrillas and irregular Spanish troops. The Mauser bullets themselves made a small clean hole, with the result that the wound healed in a most astonishing manner. One or two of our men, who were shot in the head, had the skull blown open, but elsewhere the wounds from the minute steel-coated bullet, with its very high velocity, were certainly nothing like as serious as those made by the old large-caliber, low-power rifle. If a man was shot through the heart, spine, or brain, he was, of course, killed instantly, but very few of the wounded died, even under the appalling conditions which prevailed, owing to the lack of attendance and supplies in the field hospitals with the army. While we were laying in reserve, we were suffering nearly as much as afterward when we charged. I think that the bulk of the Spanish fire was practically unaimed, or at least not aimed at any particular man, and only occasionally at a particular body of men. But they swept the whole field of battle up to the edge of the river, and man after man in our ranks fell dead or wounded, although I had the troopers scattered out far apart, taking advantage of every scrap of cover. Devereux was dangerously shot while he lay with his men on the edge of the river. A young West Point cadet, Ernest Haskell, who had taken his holiday with us as an acting second lieutenant, was shot through the stomach. He had shown great coolness and gallantry, which he displayed to an even more marked degree after being wounded, shaking my hand and saying, All right, Colonel, I'm going to get well. Don't bother about me, and don't let any man come away with me. When I shook hands with him, I thought he would surely die. Yet he recovered. The most serious loss that I and the regiment could have suffered befell just before we charged. Bucky O'Neill was strolling up and down in front of his men, smoking his cigarette, for he was inveterately addicted to the habit. He had a theory that an officer ought never to take cover, a theory which was, of course, wrong, though in a volunteer organization the officer should certainly expose himself very fully, simply for the effect on the men. Our regimental toast on the transport running, quote, the officers may the war last until each is killed, wounded, or promoted. End quote. As O'Neill moved to and fro, his men begged him to lie down, and one of the sergeants said, Captain, a bullet is sure to hit you. O'Neill took a cigarette out of his mouth and, blowing out a cloud of smoke, laughed and said, Sergeant, the Spanish bullet isn't made that will kill me. A little later, he discussed for a moment with one of the regular officers the direction from which the Spanish fire was coming. As he turned on his heel, a bullet struck him in the mouth and came out at the back of his head, so that even before he fell, his wild and gallant soul had gone out into the darkness. My orderly was a brave young Harvard boy, Sanders, from the quaint old Massachusetts town of Salem. The work of an orderly on foot under the blazing sun through the hot and matted jungle was very severe and finally the heat overcame him he dropped nor did he ever recover fully and later he died from fever in his place i summoned a trooper whose name i did not know shortly afterward while sitting beside the bank i directed him to go back and ask whatever general he came across if i could not advance as my men were being much cut up he stood up to salute and then pitched forward across my knees a bullet having gone through his throat, cutting the carotid. When O'Neill was shot, his troop, who were devoted to him, were for the moment at a loss whom to follow. One of their number, Henry Barchar, a huge Arizona miner, immediately attached himself to me as my orderly, 
and from that moment he was closer to me not only in the fight but throughout the rest of the campaign than any other man not even excepting the color sergeant wright captain mills was with me gallant ship had already been killed mills was an invaluable aide absolutely cool absolutely unmoved or flurried in any way i sent messenger after messenger to try to find general sunder or general wood and get permission to advance and was just about making up my mind that in the absence of orders i had better march toward the guns when lieutenant colonel dorse came riding up through the storm of bullets with the welcome command to move forward and support the regulars in the assault on the hills in front general sumner had obtained authority to advance from lieutenant miley who was representing general shafter at the front and was in the thick of the fire the general at once ordered the first brigade to advance on the hills and the second to support it he himself was riding his horse along the lines superintending the fight later i overheard a couple of my men talking together about him what they said illustrates the value of a display of courage among the officers in hardening their soldiers for their theme was how as they were lying down under a fire which they could not return and were in consequence feeling rather nervous general sumner suddenly appeared on horseback sauntering by quite unmoved and said one of the men that made us feel all right if the general could stand it we could the instant i received the order i sprang on my horse and then my crowded hour began the guerrillas had been shooting at us from the edges of the jungle and from their perches in the leafy trees and as they used smokeless powder it was almost impossible to see them though a few of my men had from time to time responded we had also suffered from the hill on our right front which was held chiefly by guerrillas although there was also some spanish regulars with them for we found their dead i formed my men in column of troops each troop extended an open skirmishing order the right resting on the wire fences which bordered the sunken lane captain jenkins led the first squadron his eyes literally dancing with joyous excitement i started in the rear of the regiment the position in which the colonel should theoretically stay captain mills and captain mccormick were both with me as aides but i speedily had to send them off on special duty in getting the different bodies of men forward i had intended to go into action on foot as at las cosimas but the heat was so oppressive that i found i should be quite unable to run up and down the line and superintend matters unless i was mounted and moreover when on horseback i could see the men better and they could see me better a curious incident happened as i was getting the men started forward always when men have been lying down under cover for some time and are required to advance there is a little hesitation each looking to see whether the others are going forward as i rode down the line calling to the troopers to go forward and rasping brief directions to the captains and lieutenants i came upon a man lying behind a little bush and i ordered him to jump up i do not think he understood that we were making a forward move and he looked up at me for a moment with hesitation and i again bade him rise jeering him and saying are you afraid to stand up when i am on horseback as i spoke he suddenly fell forward on his face a bullet having struck him and gone through him lengthwise i supposed the bullet had been aimed at me at any rate i who was on horseback in the open was unhurt and the man lying flat on the ground in the cover beside me was killed there were several pairs of brothers with us of the two nortons one was killed of the two mccurdys one was wounded 
I soon found that I could get that line behind which I personally was faster forward than the one immediately in front of it, with the result that the two rearmost lines of the regiment began to crowd together. So I rode through them both, the better to move on the one in front. This happened with every line in succession until I found myself at the head of the regiment. Both lieutenants of B Troop from Arizona had been exerting themselves greatly, and both were overcome by the heat. But Sergeants Campbell and Davidson took it forward in splendid shape. Some of the men from this troop and from the other Arizona troop, Bucky O'Neill's, joined me as a kind of fighting tail. The Ninth Regiment was immediately in front of me, and the first on my left and these went up Kettle Hill with my regiment. The third, sixth, and tenth went partly up Kettle Hill, following the Rough Riders and the Ninth and First, and partly between that and the Blockhouse Hill, which the infantry were assailing. General Sumner in person gave the tenth the order to charge the hills, and it went forward at a rapid gait. The three regiments went forward more or less intermingled, advancing steadily and keeping up a heavy fire. Up Kettle Hill, Sergeant George Berry of the tenth bore not only his own regimental colors, but those of the third. The color sergeant of the third having been shot down, he kept shouting, Dress on the colors, boys, dress on the colors as he followed Captain Ayres, who was running in advance of his men, shouting and waving his hat. The 10th Cavalry lost a greater proportion of its officers than any other regiment in the battle, 11 out of 22. By the time I had come to the head of the regiment, we ran into the left wing of the Ninth Regulars, and some of the first regulars who were lying down. That is, the troopers were lying down, while the officers were walking to and fro. The officers of the white and colored regiments alike took the greatest pride in seeing that the men more than did their duty, and the mortality among them was great. I spoke to the captain in command of the rear platoons, saying that I had been ordered to support the regulars in the attack upon the hills, and that in my judgment we could not take these hills by firing at them, and that we must rush them. He answered that his orders were to keep his men lying where they were, and that he could not charge without orders. I asked where the colonel was, and as he was not in sight, said, Then I am the ranking officer here, and I give the order to charge, for I did not want to keep the men longer in the open suffering under a fire which they could not effectively return. Naturally, the captain hesitated to obey this order when no word had been received from his own colonel. So I said, Then let my men through, sir, and rode on through the lines followed by the grinning rough riders whose attention had been completely taken off the Spanish bullets, partly by my dialogue with the regulars, and partly by the language I had been using to themselves as I got the lines forward, for I had been joking with some and swearing at others, as the exigencies of the case seemed to demand. When we started to go through, however, it proved too much for the regulars, and they jumped up and came along, their officers and troops mingling with mine, all being delighted at the chance. When I got to where the head of the left wing of the Ninth was lying, through the courtesy of Lieutenant Hartwick, two of whose colored troopers threw down the fence, I was enabled to get back into the lane, at the same time waving my hat, and giving the order to charge the hill on our right front. Out of my sight, over on the right, Captains McBlain and Taylor of the Ninth made up their minds independently to charge at just about this time, and at almost the same moment, Colonels Carroll and Hamilton, who were off, I believe, to my left, where we could see neither them nor their men, gave the order to advance. But of all this I knew nothing at the time. 
the whole line tired of waiting and eager to close with the enemy was straining to go forward and it seems that different parts slipped the leash at almost the same moment the first cavalry came up the hill just behind and partly mixed with my regiment and the ninth as already said portions of the third sixth and tenth followed while the rest of the members of these three regiments kept more in touch with the infantry on our left by this time we were all in the spirit of the thing and greatly excited by the charge the men cheering and running forward between shots while the delighted faces of the foremost officers like captain c j stevens of the ninth as they ran at the head of their troops will always stay in my mind as soon as i was in the line i galloped forward a few yards until i saw that the men were all well started and then galloped back to help goodrich who was in command of his troop get his men across the road so as to attack the hill from that side captain mills had already thrown three of the other troops of the regiment across this road for the same purpose wheeling around i then again galloped toward the hill passing the shouting cheering firing men and went up the lane splashing through a small stream when i got abreast of the ranch buildings on the top of kettle hill i turned and went up the slope being on horseback i was of course able to get ahead of the men on foot excepting my orderly henry barchar who had run ahead very fast in order to get better shots at the spaniards who were now running out of the ranch buildings sergeant campbell and a number of the arizona men and dudley dean among others were very close behind stevens with his platoon of the ninth was abreast of us so were mcnamee and hartwick some forty yards from the top i ran into a wire fence and jumped off little texas turning him loose he had been scraped by a couple of bullets one of which nicked my elbow and i never expected to see him again as i ran up the hill barchar stopped the shoot and two spaniards fell as he emptied his magazine these were the only spaniards i actually saw fall to aim shots by any one of my men with the exception of two gorillas in the trees almost immediately afterward the hill was covered by the troops both rough riders and the colored troopers of the ninth and some men of the first there was the usual confusion and afterward there was much discussion as to exactly who had been on the hill first the first guidons planted there were those of the three new mexican troops g e and f of my regiment under the captains llewellyn luna and muller but on the extreme right of the hill at the opposite end from where we struck it captains taylor and mcblain and their men of the ninth were first up each of the five captains was firm in the belief that his troop was first up as for the individual men each of whom honestly thought he was the first on the summit their name was legion one spaniard was captured in the buildings another was shot as he tried to hide himself and a few others were killed as they ran among the many deeds of conspicuous gallantry here performed two both to the credit of the first cavalry may be mentioned as examples of the others not as exceptions sergeant charles carston while close beside captain tutherley the squadron commander was hit by a shrapnel bullet he continued on the line firing until his arm grew numb he then refused to go to the rear and devoted himself to taking care of the wounded utterly unmoved by the heavy fire trooper hugo Britton, when wounded brought the regimental standard forward waving it to and fro to cheer the men no sooner were we on the crest than the spaniards from the line of hills in our front where they were strongly entrenched opened a very heavy fire upon us with their rifles they also opened upon us with one or two pieces of artillery using time fuses which burned very accurately 
the shells exploding right over our heads on the top of the hill was a huge iron kettle or something of the kind probably used for sugar refining several of our men took shelter behind us we had a splendid view of the charge on the san juan blockhouse to our left where the infantry of kent led by hawkins were climbing the hill obviously the proper thing to do was to help them and i got the men together and started them volley firing against the spaniards in the san juan blockhouse and in the trenches around it we could only see their heads of course this was all we ever could see when we were firing at them in their trenches stevens was directing not only his own coward troopers but a number of rough riders for in a melee good soldiers are always prompt to recognize a good officer and are eager to follow him we kept up a brisk fire for some five or ten minutes meanwhile we were much cut up ourselves gallant colonel hamilton than whom there was never a braver man was killed and equally gallant colonel carroll wounded when near the summit captain mills had been shot through the head the bullet destroying the sight of one eye permanently and of the other temporarily he would not go back or let any man assist him sitting down where he was and waiting until one of the men brought him word that the hill was stormed colonel vale planted the standard of the first cavalry on the hill and general sumner rode up he was fighting his division in great form and was always himself in the thick of the fire as the men were much excited by the firing they seemed to pay very little heed to their own losses suddenly above the crackling of the carbines rose a peculiar drumming sound and some of the men cried the spanish machine guns listening i made out that it came from the flat ground to the left and jumped to my feet smiting my hand on my thigh and shouting aloud with exultation it's the gatlings men our gatlings lieutenant parker was bringing his four gatlings into action and shoving them nearer and nearer the front now and then the drumming ceased for a moment then it would resound again always closer to san juan hill which parker like ourselves was hammering to assist the infantry attack our men cheered lustily we saw much of parker after that and there was never a more welcome sound than his gatlings as they opened it was the only sound which i ever heard my men cheer in battle End of chapter four part one